Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It's telling me that my grilled cheese is about to be disintegrated before I can even eat it. We're starting off with tragedy. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on 4eyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. We are back talking about Spider-Man Unlimited. I don't know why I always turn it into a musical for Spider-Man Unlimited, but this is not the first and probably not the last time I've done it. Uh, but we're back in any case to talk yeah. about this show, which continues to be weird, uh, and delightful. Uh, and I feel like the episode we're talking about today has both a lot of weird and a lot of delightful. Do you agree? Yes. Oh, I fully agree. <laughs> and be- it's definitely better than the last one. <laughs> so, oh man. What was the last one we even talked about? The Hunter one. See? Oh yeah. Even... Well, <laughs> that explains it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's not a good sign. At least more interesting things to talk about in this one. Uh, Yeah. I think that this episode I would characterize by having lots and lots of fascinating stuff that inform things that are already fascinating. But I don't know if the episode as a whole is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's some problems. There's some kind of fundamental problems with it. I think that this is a kind of episode that sort of encapsulates like everything like good and bad about Spider-Man Unlimited, you know? Like, I think yeah. that it captures a lot of the, the the best kind of themes that the show does that it's always surprising to see pop up, but also kind of all of its issues and sort of, like, the, the weak spots that it has in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, you could potentially pick this one out, show it to somebody, and along the way point out, here, here are some things that this whole series does really well and then point to other things and say, but this has been a problem throughout and it kind of, yeah, it has it all. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's still, I think it, I think it's got a lot to talk about though. I think, I think there'll be a lot of conversation to be had about it. The stuff I like about this episode, I like a lot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I am yes. I'm excited to dig into that, and I suppose we should. So, mm-hmm. we are talking about Spider-Man Unlimited, Season 1, Episode 7. We are officially past the halfway point, and this episode is called Cry Vulture. Synopsis per IMDb is as follows. Spider-Man teams up with the counter-Earth hero version of the Vulture to foil one of Sir Ram's evil plots and defeat his minion, Fire Drake. Thanks for the spoilers, IMDb. I know, right? Funny how often you hear the word vulture in the title and the synopsis, but never hear it once in the episode. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to jump forward in my notes for just a moment where I made a big note so that I, I, I make sure I say it. This character is never named in the episode. Despite <laughs> the title of this episode, we're going to call him Vulture. 
It's so funny. It's so weird. And you know, you know, he's definitely credited as Vulture. He's Vulture uh-huh. everywhere else, which really, I think, kind of cements what you were saying back in like the Goblin episode, where they only call him Goblin, never Green Goblin, even though he's Green yeah. Goblin in the credits. And I assume any marketing materials, the Hunter is just the Hunter. And then Vulture is just unnamed bestial that's known as Vulture in all outside yeah. materials. It's like, I guess that was sort of their workaround to use classic Spidey villains by just not like talking, not like naming them in the episode directly. Cause I don't see why they would do that unless yeah. they were like forced to. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's strange for two reasons. I don't know why they would do that unless they were forced to. And, and it's, it's hard to figure out when it's necessary, when it's not and what the actual like line is for some of those rights, you would think that if they can't call somebody Green Goblin, they would also be told you can't call somebody Goblin, but whatever. And then the thing that's especially weird to me is they're already, and, and I think this is easier to explain, I just disagree with the rationale, they're already having to use so many bizarre, off the beaten path, outside of typical Spider Man mythos elements in this show. Yeah. It's strange to me that they're relying so heavily on what end up being sort of like watered down counter earth versions of iconic villains. If you can't use them, don't use them. (laughs) You're already doing all kinds of weird stuff. I think the rationale is we're already doing weird stuff. So we need something familiar. I just disagree with that being necessary. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. It is very odd. And I don't it's just they make such a they make like almost a concerted effort to not name him in the episode. Like it's yeah, it's very weird. Very weird. It's the kind of thing that I feel like would be a wink in other properties, but it's very obviously not a wink here. It is a restriction. <laughs> yeah, I would say so for sure. The only weird wrinkle in it is though, as I know the episode following this, they do name a villain by the villain's name. So like well, that's it's, what's weird. That's yeah. what's so strange is yeah. like you can call one villain goblin, which isn't the full thing, so you can use a category of villain. Sometimes you can't use their name at all. You can use the title of a villain, but not his name. Looking at you, the hunter. You can use <laughs> sometimes the full name. Yeah, I don't it's it's very, very weird. I would love, love, love to pick some of the creators' brains on just getting the rationale and and maybe it is like we were never totally sure either. So sometimes we tried things and sometimes we didn't. And when we tried things, we got guidance. And when we didn't, it was fine. I, I don't know. Yeah. I could see it being a scenario where it's like, we're just going to ask for forgiveness if we screw up. That's possible. Yeah. Maybe they're just pitching it and then waiting for Marvel or whoever to come back and be like, no, you can't do that. And then sometimes they <laughs> miss it and sometimes they don't. So I don't know. Huh. I don't know. It's yeah. Either way, it's weird. And I guess. It doesn't hurt the episode. I just can't say that I wasn't thinking about it the entire time. <laughs> oh, I was I was very specifically tracking it because that nomenclature thing is the least major of the comparisons between Vulture and Goblin. <laughs> uh, so I was yeah. already comparing them the entire time. Yeah. So that was something I was, that was on my radar from, from the get-go. That's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing we are going to talk about because that's uh-huh. it's, uh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, we don't talk about interviews very much. It's not really a thing that we've done. But I've never wanted to interview a creator more than I do literally anybody who was involved in the unlimited production. Seriously. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I want it so bad. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening and you have connections or or if by some chance you're working on the show, please uh, 
feel free to reach out. <laughs> yeah, that would, hey, that'd be amazing. If if you're a creator and listening to this, you're not the only one who has, so no need to hide. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would be so fascinated to learn about this stuff because uh, I'm sure no one else is really asking those questions now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this episode uh, originally aired on February 10th, 2001. It was written by Larry Brody and Robert Gregory Brown. We talked about Brody way back on our sixth episode, which is on the Hobgoblin two-parter from the 90s Spider-Man animated series. Even though we didn't like that pair of episodes very much, uh, he's written on a lot of like good stuff, I believe. So he's he's got a pretty extensive um, filmography. Brown, we've never talked about before, and uh, he's really interesting because he's actually primarily a novelist. Hmm. The books, I've never read any of the books or I haven't heard of like the ones that are most popular, but uh, most of the ones he's written are like in the thriller, mystery and supernatural or apocalyptic genres. Um, And I think a couple of them have been like either there's either been like uh, like movies made out of them or like they've tried to make like TV shows out of them or something. So they're like they've been like bestsellers and stuff like that. So things like the the uh, the Linger series, Kiss Her Goodbye, Trial Junkies and way more than that as well. Linger sounds super familiar. Yeah. I don't remember the actual any of the other title, like the titles in the Linger series, but that's a whole series that might have been the one that like either almost was a TV show or had, I think that might have almost been a TV show. I think Kiss Her Goodbye had a movie made of it or something like that. So, hmm. um, you know, he's a successful a successful author, I think yeah. it's fair to say. In oh, t- I do know the Linger series. Yep. Okay. Okay. I just looked it up. I needed to see the covers to know if I recognize them, and I definitely do. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. <laughs> So he has worked a little bit in TV, but not much. Um, and he's really, I think, only worked exclusively with Larry Brody on stuff. Um, and in, in addition to this, his only other credit is an animated series adaptation of the Italian comic book series Diabolique, hmm. uh, which I've never heard of. But when I was kind of just like casually researching it, it's it's pretty extensive. Um, it has a whole bunch. It's run for a long time. It has a whole bunch of like adaptations and stuff. Um, so I think it's probably very popular in Europe. But I don't was know. the animated series something that was available in the United States? The one that he wrote on? It doesn't look like it. It was on. I think it. I think it originally aired on Fox Kids Europe or something, or Fox Kids uh, oh, like okay. UK. Um, so I don't. I don't know if any of that anything that that he worked on has ever made it over here. But it was a kids show. Yeah, apparently. Huh. Yeah. Diabolique. I mean, it sounds like something that would be on Adult Swim. It does, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we mentioned both of the characters that are introduced in this episode. One of them is the Vulture character who we, like I said, will always call Vulture despite not having an actual name. And Vulture is voiced by Scott McNeil, uh, who's voiced tons of great characters that you very certainly know. I had no idea this was the guy who voiced them. That's cool. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed it. (laughs) No. But his, his... his credits are super diverse, so he might just be like a chameleon type of voice actor, you know, like the kind of voice actor that's on the opposite end of the spectrum from the John DiMaggio's or the people who just like can't get rid of like particular qualities. Mm-hmm. Because he's vo- some of the things that he's done, he's the English voice of Piccolo in Dragon Ball Z and Hohenheim 
in Full Metal Alchemist. He's hmm. Rat Trap in Beast Wars and Beast Machines, uh, as well as Dinobot 2, Waspinator, and Silverbolt in those series. I think he's Dinobot 1, like the original Dinobot as well. I oh, is he as well? That's yeah. So, I don't know why, <laughs> why I would have only put one of them. That's funny. <laughs> Maybe because Dinobot 2 is the one that I actually was reading the Wikipedia page for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or the wiki page for or whatever. <laughs> um, he uh, he voices T-Bone, the T-Rex team leader in Extreme Dinosaurs, which is the Street Sharks spinoff. Huh. I don't know if I knew that was a spinoff. I think for a while I just thought it was a ripoff, but I guess it's an actual spinoff. If I remember correctly, it's like the last season of Street Sharks was like basically redone as the Street, Street Sharks and the Extreme Dinosaurs. And mm. the dinosaur guys basically like superseded the Street Sharks <laughs> and oh. then just became their own show. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> he also voiced Dr. Wily in the 90s Mega Man cartoon, which I was obsessed with. <laughs> And just so, so, so many more, uh, including voices on series we've mentioned an actual thousand times, like Alpha Commando, Street Fighter, Captain N, even more Transformers series, Mobile Suit Gundam, Ranma, One Half, and all of those other ones you've heard us say a bajillion times. Hmm. Also, he does appear on screen. He acts just like in person to IRL, whatever. He doesn't just do voice work is what I'm trying to say. He uh, he appears in some roles such as Simon Bonesteel on Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, Tallboy on Riverdale. He wa- and- what? <laughs> That's him. Rat Trap is Tallboy? Oh my God. Uh-huh. That's and, so and weird. So many other things, right? Like it's just, it's so weird looking at his credits because it's like, wait a second, how are these the same person? Yeah. I can't believe I didn't know that's who it was. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's just, like I said, I think he's just incredibly talented and has a diverse skill set because we'll we'll be hearing about him in the very near future doing a, a voice that's wildly different than the Vulture. So, yeah, I think he just, he's that, that kind of guy. Dang. He can just do, do it all. <laughs> Blew my mind with the tall yeah. boy thing. Because I love how he looks. And I never realized, I just never pictured him looking like that either. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's strange. It was like one of those things where I was like, am I looking at the right? Like, are there two Scott McNeils? Yeah. I don't know. Somebody might surprise me and be like, there are four Scott McNeils. And you <laughs> thought they were all the same person. <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised based on his credits, you know? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So an in, in, incredible performer, that's that's for sure. Dang. The other major character introduced, or major question mark character, seems oh. like someone that we'll see again, but I don't actually know. They made is, great pains uh, to name this character when they didn't great name the Vulture at all. Just like mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, Fire Drake. Fire Drake. I would like, and we can get into why, I would like to see more Fire Drake, if only because... They make it seem like we will. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, Fire Drake is voiced by uh, Jim Burns. Uh, one of his major roles on screen, because he's another guy who does both voice and on screen acting, was that of a character named Joe Dawson in the Highlander TV uh, and movie franchise. The character originated, I just thought this was really interesting. The, the character originated in the spinoff television show, Highlander, mm-hmm. and then appeared in the TV film specials, but then also eventually appeared in the year 2000's Highlander Endgame movie, which was a theatrical release oh. that continued both the original movie and the TV series. Huh. So the Highlander from the movie and the Highlander from the TV series are both in that movie, which poses the question, <laughs> which one is the one? 
if there can only be one? I don't know. I'm clearly going to get involved in Highlander because I must know. (laughs) I could spend a bunch of time listing all the cartoons we've already mentioned that we just mentioned for the previous voice actor, Cough, Alpha Commando, Cough. But instead, I will spend just a moment telling you that Jim Burns is also a very good blues musician who's won a number of Canadian Music Awards multiple times and that his music is available on Spotify and I listen to it, and it's good, and you should do. So something cool. a little different for one of our voice actors this time. Cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. He's still in RoboCop Alpha Commando, but, you know, it's just... Uh, and everything else. The world that we have to live in where we're cursed <laughs> with that constantly coming up every day of our lives. I mean, it's it's going to be, I'm confident, 13 episodes in a row that we mention RoboCop. Wild. Wild. <laughs> I can't... I just... I don't know. Uh, man. We're going to have our own spinoff podcast someday, and it's it's obviously going to be RoboCop. Apparently, just... Everybody knows it at this point. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, since we're not talking about RoboCop yet, yeah. uh, we should talk about this episode then. Let's do it. Yeah. So it opens up in the sewer, uh, like this show often does. There's a lot of sewer. There's a lot of sewer mm-hmm. scenes in this show, actually. Yeah. It opens up with an argument between John Jameson and Spider-Man over whether or not to return to Earth Prime. This is not like the first time we've heard this argument and certainly won't be the last. Um, but Spider-Man is kind of continuing to assert that, you know, this whole counter-Earth overthrow the ruling class thing. It just isn't their fight. It's not their planet. But uh, they can't really go very far into their argument because John just starts experiencing some kind of like weird pain and then runs off. He like grabs his head. Yeah. It, it, it looks like the type of thing you would imagine if somebody were like hearing a painful ringing in their ears. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what like, it is. What happened to you, sir? <laughs> like, yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this scene is interesting. Um, I, for one, just a minor thing, I brought it up before, but I do like when this show like uh, uses space for its uh, for its like voice acting. Like it actually adds like an echo effect when they're mm-hmm. in sewer tunnels. A minor thing, but a lot of cartoons don't bother to do that. Um, yeah, and they do. And I, I appreciate that. It's a nice little detail. But really, like, I like that they are kind of bringing in this argument. It's it's. I wish that they had had this this conversation like a little earlier in the show, maybe because it's sort of vaguely come up like just just this idea that like Spider-Man is being kind of weird for how stubborn he's being. Uh, But I also kind of get it. Like, I understand why uh, why he might be apprehensive to 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 get involved with, you know, a pretty like global spanning uh, fight to overthrow a government um, yeah, but, uh, so I, I kind of get it and I appreciate that they're like addressing it. And it's like one of the few times that like, I don't hate John cause I kind of am on his side with this where it's just like, yeah, but like you're a superhero. Yeah. This is the thing that superheroes should be doing. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I think it's, it's unfortunate that it took half of the series for us to really get personality traits that line up with Spider-Man stubbornness about this because it's not until maybe, maybe a couple episodes before this, but certainly this episode and the the immediately following ones where we get Spider-Man saying things like, I work alone, or this is not what I do. I think if we had gotten some of that stuff earlier on, mm-hmm. if it was really very obvious that Spider-Man was hesitant to go to Counter-Earth in the first place, none of this ever would have been a question for us because we would have known from the get-go 
that this is all stuff he's doing very hesitantly and reluctantly and purely out of necessity. Yeah, because as it stands, it always feels a little weird. But he's just like, I'm a neutral party. But then he's still constantly working with human <laughs> revolutionaries doing stuff. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so... you hang out in one side's base. Right. I, I don't think you're neutral. <laughs> right. You're but... not hanging out with the knights, buddy. Exactly. But it does, you know, the sentiment makes more sense if he's kind of in self-denial about it, which I think this episode makes very clear because he goes yeah. back and forth a lot where he's like, well, I guess I kind of get it, but no, I shouldn't. I want to go back home. And, and like, he's constantly yeah. kind of trying to convince himself to not try to stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be hard to to build all that backstory without being able to reference literally anything from the the comics. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't, I we've said it before. I don't envy them having to build this character up while they're like launching this mile a minute story. But, yeah. uh, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that argument, too. Yeah. So at the clinic, um, we see Naoko offering the clinic's couch to a man named Phil, who's adorable and cleans the clinic, apparently. I'm not really sure whether he cleans inside the clinic, <laughs> outside the clinic, or both. I, I don't really know who Phil is. <laughs> He's just first... a sweet man who wants to help. <laughs> well, I think it's complicated by the fact that he has, like, a broom that looks like it would be used to, like, you know, sweep, like, the outside sidewalk or whatever. But yeah. he comes out of the door sweeping, yeah. implying that he sweeps inside <laughs> and then sweeps it to outside. I don't know. Uh-huh. But it doesn't matter. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> whatever. Uh, he's a nice guy, and the fact that he's nice and sweet is very effectively communicated to us. We're supposed to like him. That does matter later in the episode. So uh, he refuses the the offer for a couch, but does accept a grilled cheese sandwich, as I would from anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> coincidentally, Spider-Man is swinging around the city, sort of considering this argument with John randomly thinking about Mary Jane, which we haven't really gotten much of lately when he's nearly hit by an ambulance decides to follow that ambulance as a result and ends up seeing Phil, our new friend kidnapped by two bestials who emerge from that ambulance. So a really fortunate series of events Mm -hmm. (laughs) for Phil, at least because Spider-Man sees what's going on and uh, can at least attempt to intervene. Yeah. Um, you know, between the conversation that that's, that Spidey was having, like that kind of clarifying his motives and mindset, mm-hmm. and then the whole like actually referencing Mary Jane for the first time in like multiple episodes, almost feels like this episode just should have been like the third episode. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm so glad you said that because I had that thought at a few points where I was like, this episode, based on the details, it's clear where it fits. Yeah. But based on the overarching themes and ideas, very much feels like it should have been earlier, if not, like you said, the third episode. Yeah. Now, I, I very much agree. This feels out of place. Yeah, because it's all stuff that I kind of wish that I had known. I mean, it's, it's sort of stuff that we had assumed, but only because we were like heavily trying to analyze everything and being like, I guess this is the mindset Peter's in. But this makes it so clear and almost should be his arc for the entire season is trying to like figure out if he wants to help the human revolution here or not. Yeah. And it, and it is sort of weird that it's not really being established until now. And yeah, the fact that like, he's so, 
so homesick for MJ, which makes sense that that would be a thing, but it's so rarely been referenced in the last few episodes that it's just... When it uh, should be referenced at least in a minor way every single episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he should ever be comfortable on Counter-Earth. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my my opinion on the situation. I he agree. Never, never have gotten comfortable. Especially considering how many times we see him flirting with other ladies. <laughs> it makes it weird. Doesn't get better. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But at least, at least... It's gross, but at least, like, now it's sort of like, oh, maybe he's flirting with them because they remind him of Mary Jane so yeah, much. because he feels lonely and empty and doesn't know how to handle emotions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's – I'm oh, – man, I'm so glad you said that because I don't know if I would have remembered uh, that that was a thought I was having, but that's absolutely a thought I was having. Yeah. Uh, so – like I said, he tries to intervene in the situation where Phil is getting kidnapped by these ambulance bestials. <laughs> but as he's trying to do that, he ends up attacked by a green costumed, toothy, goggled, airborne character <laughs> that is not the goblin we already know uh, and love. This is, <laughs> so, uh, you know, here's the thing. I just, just get into it now because we know it's 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 the vulture dude. Not that we ever know his uh-huh. name, but it's not the goblin. It's the vulture, right? And right. like you heavily uh, implied <laughs> just now, his design is very, very similar to the goblin. Like yes. his face is like the exact same sh- weird shape like, with like the two- toothy smile that the goblin has. Which um, I could be okay with if they didn't give him the same beady eyed goggles. Yeah, what is with that? And my other issue, this is going to be jumping ahead, but he is a bestial. And that's a major part of his identity is that he is a bestial. I have so much to say. (laughs) Yet the only aspect of him that is remotely animal-like is just like he kind he has talons like on his feet. And I think he has like nails on his his fingers that are kind of sharp too. Like he has like that, uh, that back, like thumb, like the back, uh, like whatever you call it, the back like digit on the heel of his foot, like a bird would, but that's it. Everything else. He's Which just are like a completely dude. unidentifiable outside of his costume. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'll, I'll throw out there. I was very confused mm-hmm. as to whether or not this was a human or a bestial throughout the entire episode until about like minute 17. Yeah. Which they explicitly state that, then they actually, you know what? They don't ever explicitly state he's a bestial. They just say something that leaves no room for mistaking what he is. Right. Um, they still never actually call him a bestial. He never identifies himself as a bestial. They just eliminate all other possibilities. It's so yeah, which I, 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 which is weird because it seems like such a fundamental part of his identity when we learn his backstory later. Yep. That he is a bestial and. The only thing Very that I, confusing. I, yeah, I don't understand his character design at all. I really don't get it. The only guess that I would have that doesn't solve the it doesn't solve the problem of him being similar to the goblin, but the only reason I would guess that he is so human instead of so bestial is simply that they want any heroic characters to be more human-like and any non-heroic characters to be like extra bestial like to make it more clear for the kids, I guess, because all the most beastie bestials are usually the bad guys, and even, like, with the Knights of Wondergore, like, the nicest ones are Lady Vermin and Lord Tiger, and they have, like, flat human faces, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, all the sort of, like, normal citizen bestials we see 
I mean, except for having like extended necks and legs looking at you, weird giraffes <laughs> are the most human looking bestials for sure. Yeah. We mentioned that when we talked about the Central Park scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. weird. It's weird. I wish. Don't love that. I love that they have diversity with the bestials, but I really wish they'd streamline or at least thought a little more through the designs and the consistency of them and not made it such a. Uh, an even divide between the, the look of good bestials and bad bestials because that is uncomfortable and has implications yep. <laughs> that they're never going to examine of course not yeah if they did i'd be here for it they're not going to so i'm not yeah right <laughs> right yeah uh but yeah we'll have a lot more to say i think about vulture uh and his his backstory and confusing nature yeah uh, but in the meantime this is where we get our opening theme we jam. We always jam to this. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After that opening, both Spider-Man and this counter-Earth vulture attempt to stop those kidnappers, which is another parallel um, to Goblin, uh, but also significant. And they fail when they mistake each other for allies to the kidnapping bestials. So they have that same moment where they're like, wait a second. Uh, uh, uh. I thought you were a bad guy. No, I thought you were a bad guy. So we get that again. Cool. I liked it better with Goblin, but fine. (laughs) I liked it better with Goblin. I think I would have liked it better with Goblin, regardless of the order that we got it in. I'm really bummed that this vulture, who has an interesting backstory, doesn't get a more interesting characterization. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Spider-Man is shot by one of the uh, Bestial's pew-pew lasers. You know, (laughs) not real guns, so he doesn't have a bullet wound or anything, but it's enough to hurt him. And uh, the Bestials escape. But uh, before they could get too far, Spider-Man does shoot a tracer onto the back of their moving ambulance, unlike what he could do with the space shuttle (laughs) that was not (laughs) moving at all. (laughs) Yeah, the objects must be moving. (laughs) He's too practiced and too good to shoot anything that's stationary. (laughs) Right. So it works this time. That said, uh, before flying off, uh, Vulture explains that the Bestials they attempted to stop have been kidnapping humans for a while. There's a bit in this conversation where, like, Vulture, uh, like, um, like steps on on Spidey to like keep him down just to kind of taunt mm-hmm. him a little bit, and then and he has like a quip or whatever. But then, like, Spidey just like gently and casually removes his leg. <laughs> Gets up. <laughs> like That's it was so awesome. It was totally and it was totally just like a power move for Vulture. Like he wasn't actually trying to constrain him. He was just trying to like make him look dumb. <laughs> yeah, their well, their fights in general are kind of entertaining because whether they're actually interacting with each other, they neither one of them takes the other as seriously as they probably should. Yeah. There's a moment where Vulture like drop kicks Spider Man into a building that causes the building to like crumble behind Mm spider-man and spider-man's like a lamb could have avoided that like (laughs) you didn't though you you absolutely just got wrecked like they just have no respect for each other it's so funny oh but but you know it fits into the whole narrative with the vulture that i think you you brought up when we were talking about vulture in the 90s show not that long ago where it's a sort of Mm -hmm. like it's a whole thing with the vulture that everyone just constantly overestimate or uh, underestimates him like whether it's in universe or like in real life like Every time the vulture's on screen, it's just like, the vulture, though? And then it's like, oh, the vulture, though. (laughs) And they're still doing that in this show, too. It's weird that they're doing it, though, because not only do they never name this character Vulture, there are times when Spider-Man recognizes a counter-Earth villain because there is a implied Earth Prime version. Mm -hmm. This is not one of them. He has no idea who this is. (laughs) We are to assume that Spider-Man has never met a Vulture before. 
weird because because he yeah. explicitly states when he knows other other villains that's true who look far less similar than <laughs> this vulture does to earth primes or rather the 90s spider-man's vulture we'll see in the next episode that <laughs> <laughs> definitely contradicts what's going on here um yeah uh-huh. yeah <laughs> so funny but yeah you're right that's that is funny i didn't i didn't even put that together that vulture just for whatever reason is never taken seriously even yeah. when he's seemingly a spry young hero <laughs> i do wish that they that they played up that relationship a little bit because I, I I like I feel like they they need to play up any difference between the goblin that they can because um, the goblin relationship with Spidey was kind of fun because they had the little mini arc of like getting to trust each other and then once they did trust each other they seemed to kind of work really well together and trust each other pretty fully as partners yeah but Vol- Spider Man and Vulture never really get to that point they never really like each other like even if they're they realize they're on the same side roughly like they both think the other is like really annoying and the little moments where they play that up are fun but i don't know if they play i don't feel like they play it up enough <laughs> they don't goblin yeah goblin and spider-man get to like the final act of a buddy cop film and these two it would have been ideal if they never got past the first you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> i think that would work really well for them right so Peter's injured, so he doesn't follow Vulture when he inevitably flies off, right? Mm -hmm. But instead decides to go back to the clinic and try to rest up or whatever. Uh, Unfortunately, the sound of Peter returning to the clinic wakes Shane up, so Shane gets out of bed to see what's going on. He ends up finding Peter in the hallway, and before they can have any sort of real conversation, Peter passes out from his injury, which I'm realizing is a really common thing in this show. Whatever lasers people get shot by must have devastating effects. (laughs) Yeah, I was very confused by that because I thought at first I was like, oh, is it going to be like some... Like it was poison or some crazy like debilitating thing, it but it's sure like no, seems like it. it was just a shoulder injury, and it made him pass out for some reason. <laughs> but this is oddly consistent. I, yeah. I feel like everybody who's been shot by one of these lasers has had like very bizarre reactions. Yeah, and I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a shock thing, but uh, that seems too realistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I th- they're consistent about it, so I appreciate that. Like, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That happens a lot. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. that's fine. So, <laughs> so yeah, he passes out from this uh, this laser wound or whatever. Um, and wakes up <laughs> wakes up the next morning to find that he's been patched up by Naoko. And he shares, actually, more than I would have expected. Yeah. Uh, he says that he received the injury from bestials who were kidnapping a man with a grilled cheese sandwich. Like, that's exactly what happened. He just left out the part where he was Spider-Man. Yeah, it is kind of out of character for him to do that, but it's a nice, clean little writing thing to just go yeah. ahead and, and close that circle now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Naoko obviously knows, like, immediately, like, wait a second, I gave Phil a grilled cheese sandwich, so that must be Phil if there was a grilled cheese sandwich. (laughs) Um, So obviously she's like, well, shoot, we got to do something about this. She tries to make a phone call to somebody but realizes, which I take mild issue with, um, but basically says, like, I don't have anybody I can call because there's nobody who cares about humans, which I take to mean that she doesn't know anyone who would risk anything for, like, a nobody human against the threat of bestials. But the way she says it is just sort of like, you don't know anyone? No one? Yeah. No one at all? Because I just... Didn't your husband leave you for, like, the revolutionaries? Isn't John, like, been present (laughs) in your clinic, like, multiple times? (laughs) 
Right. Oh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> in, in this episode, too. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's a little weird. I took it as like she didn't. There was like there's like no cops that she can call or anything. I mean, that's true. That That's something that this show never really gets into, but is ever present. This, I, I mean, there isn't anyone. The machine men are effectively the police and they are not good guys. And that's obvious. Yeah. I know that it's it's a it's a weird thing, and I think it was a weirdly written line. But I like how proactive she is, or at least like attempts to be. Oh like, yeah, no, I she's great. As soon as she knows it's Phil, she literally runs out of the room. Like there's no hesitation. Yeah. The 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 only reason that there's the that's there that we have the weird moment of being like there's nobody to call is because she was like impulsively like her first mm-hmm. thought was like doing something to help him, which I like. She's so cool. I wish I know Karen were more like her, but she's so great. <laughs> well, and you know why I wish Karen were more like her is because I thus far would change nothing about Naoko, but because of that and because of what she does and because she is a doctor and is so important to the community. She's sort of rooted and anchored, right? Mm -hmm. So she's proactive and she's strong and she is confident and she's all these things. But outside of particular environments, we don't get to see her. So I wish Karen uh, were the version of Naoko that gets to go out and be that person outside of the clinic. I would never change Naoko because I love the fact that she is the doctor Mm -hmm. and that she is this single mom raising a kid and taking care of the community, but it does limit her movement for sure. Yeah. She's great though. I like her. Uh, So good. She's so good. So good. So this is a little bit weird in a little moment that uh, we're kind of referencing earlier. (laughs) Very awkward. Um, So Peter, you know, attempts to to comfort Naoko since she's realizes that she, or she feels kind of helpless. Like she can't do anything. (laughs) But in the process, he's like, don't worry, MJ. She's like, huh? Which is awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. Awkward, and weird. especially because it means he hasn't told her about Mary Jane. Ooh. Yeah, and he's definitely. Why wouldn't he tell her about Mary Jane? Peter, why haven't you told your landlord about Mary Jane? What reason would you have not to mention Mary Jane? Although, I guess, obviously, the fact that he's not from this planet, duh. No, but, yeah, I, I, I think I can understand. I think he's probably been as vague as possible about his life. Yeah. Because, like,. I want, I mean, I don't know. They don't really go into it at all, but I, I, I have to imagine that the way that they treat their landlord tenant relationship is that like, she doesn't ask any questions for why he was a transient in the first place that was homeless. And yeah, and, that's a good point. And as long as he brings in money and, and he seems to be a really cool guy to Shane and stuff now, like that's all that really matters. But, but we've also like, you know, in the last episode, they were like eating dinner together and seemed to like be sharing stuff about each other. So it is kind of weird that she never like asked about his life or anything, mm-hmm. but I can also believe that he's like done his best to evade the question as much as possible. Yeah. It, it makes perfect sense. I just got caught up in what feels like inevitable infidelity. You know what I, I mean? know. And uh, it's not the only time it comes up either. <laughs> I know in any other circumstance where you're not, I don't know, transported to another planet where nobody knows that you're not from there. Mm-hmm. You would have no reason not to mention you have a wife or significant other. Yeah. And it's also complicated <laughs> by the fact that we never, we were never given a scene between Peter and MJ after he decided to go to counter earth. So we don't know what the status of their relationship is. We don't know like how she felt about him leaving. Did they separate afterwards knowing that it was kind of a weird thing? Like her. (laughs) Oh God. I hope not. I mean, I hope she did. I hope that's not the case. I don't see how 
<laughs> there are a number of versions of Peter that we've talked about who wouldn't have. Ugh, I hope not. I don't because she <laughs> seems to be it, this first the little tiny bit that we saw of Mary Jane seems yeah. to be super in the know about everything. So like I don't see why he wouldn't. Yeah, I think if I had to decide, he's probably told her. She knows yeah. where he is. But I'm sure that she probably did not agree with it and didn't want him to go. And I wouldn't be surprised if she was if she broke up with them over it or something like that. But they don't talk about it at all. So yeah. we don't know. We just know that he still loves her, obviously, and wants to get back to her. But well, like and when he left or not when he left, but after the whole world turned on him or whatever, she was under the impression that he was giving up Spider-Man. So I wouldn't be surprised either if it was like a if this is what you're getting back into, you're choosing me or you're choosing Spider-Man. Yeah. A lot of stuff would have been very clarified if uh, if we got just one scene about- Give us some flashbacks, baby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Especially, especially <laughs> now that she's coming up more often. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll uh, get them. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe it was pulled. Who knows? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, another interesting little detail, though, after that weird awkwardness, um, after Peter is just like, uh, never mind, and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shane, Shane, ever the little, like, child detective, is like, uh-huh. hey, Peter said he, like, got shot, but why didn't, didn't his clothes have, like, holes in it or anything? Yeah. Yeah, good Smart point, Shane. This child. is the type of thing. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's the type of thing a kid would notice. Because yeah. a kid isn't, like trying to fill in the blanks they're just observing the world around them you know it'd be cool if he like figured out peter was spider-man and then like now that's like he has to deal with have like the kid in his household like keeping it a secret from his mom and being unsure if he should bring her in and stuff like that would be some fun drama to deal with i would not at all be surprised if that either happens or was the plan because it seems like a very natural progression of events. Yeah, and it seems like they're setting it up for it and like the fact that Shane's been so evol- involved in everything, like they're trying to make him yeah. a kid character that you can like and get behind. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be such an easy way to kind of bring him into that world. Oh, big time. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where if you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute, or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts, thank you. Thanks. 
Well, Spider-Man follows his tracer's signal, but ends up finding it on the ground, not on the ambulance, uh, outside of a warehouse. Luckily, after investigating the inside of the warehouse, he realizes the trail isn't yet cold. I think there's like a cup of coffee or tea or something that he says is still warm, so they can't be too far. And he also finds a clue on that same table where the drink is. Uh, in the form of a discarded cosmetic wrapper that has the brand Bestial Beauty on it. And then he makes a really (laughs) shitty comment about how Bestial Beauty is an oxymoron and fuck you, Peter, open your mind. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Oh, well, it was 1999. (laughs) (laughs) Look, there have been some very... Hey, wait, didn't he kiss... A bestial. <laughs> he kissed Lady on Vermin. Her mouth, but she's and like, liked it. <laughs> she's like the hot kind of ver- the, uh, uh, bestial, I guess. So <laughs> I guess whatever. There are a lot of hot bestial men, ladies, and folks throughout mm-hmm. this series. Mm-hmm. Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we do get a cut after this to Bestial Beauty headquarters. Or oh no, oh I wanted to say something actually. He had a funny line because uh, when he was when he was referencing the um, the uh, spider tracer like losing its adhesive or whatever, mm-hmm. he was like so much for my spot on the Mensa roster. Which uh, oh I didn't even catch that. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> How did I miss that? I don't know. Uh, you should be happy to not be in Mensa. It seems like a shit show, Spidey. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Let me recommend you a podcast, Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, listen to uh, My Year in Mensa by Jamie Loftus. It's very, oh. very uh, entertaining and also very enlightening. Listen to everything by Jamie Loftus. This has been our uh, endorsement of all things Jamie Loftus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so at Bestial Beauty headquarters, we cut there and see a large truck delivering like about a dozen humans, including Phil. So Phil is wrangled through the facility. We kind of see everything through his eyes. Um, There's a whole bunch more like captive humans, um, but like they're just wearing just like hospital gown type futuristic looking hospital gowns. And they're all like bald. Like they've all been shaved down, Mm -hmm. which is a, which is a bummer. (laughs) And they're all like in like cage type, like glass cages, I guess. It, they try to make it look as like futuristic, uh, like lab experiment stuff as possible. Like it's not, it's not fun. It looks pretty horrifying and scary. Uh, you know what I shouldn't be impressed by, but I was impressed by uh-huh. all of these captive humans who have already been like shaved down and stripped or whatever. They all are bald, and they all are wearing the same thing. So like all of the men and all of the women are bald and wearing the same sort of like tunic gown type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's for it's for horrible circumstances. So it's not a good thing. But I wouldn't have been at all surprised if for no reason whatsoever all the women still just had their hair. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because do, it's 1999. <laughs> they do make sure that you can tell they're women by making them be have like perky lips with mi- lipstick on. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, their body shapes are still different because, like, they. I mean, no one is androgynous in, in any of these shows. Yeah. Uh, your shoulders are either eight feet wide or your hips are, you know, <laughs> a mega peach. Yeah. But but you're right, though. They, 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 they went hard enough on the horror, like, more than I was expecting and were not afraid, yeah, to, to have everybody kind of shave down. Bunch um, of bald ladies. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. There's also... A uh, a bestial there that's like a a green like bird guy, and I Yo. just kept thinking the whole time, why couldn't the vulture be that? Why couldn't the vulture be a green bird guy? Yeah. You had him right that's there. True. 
Especially because that green bird guy looked super cool. He looked really cool. <laughs> it was such a cool design. Like, I would like to see yeah. that be like a heroic guy. But no, all the animal bestials are ugly. The nice people have to look like beautiful mm-hmm. humans, even if their face is like weirdly shaped and super long. <laughs> yep. Yep. Rude. So rude. <laughs> yeah. Well, outside the headquarters, Spider-Man sneaks past a bestial guard because I like this. It's silly. It's stupid. But he says if if guards on Counter-Earth are anything like guards where I'm from, he's probably doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> so he literally just sneaks right past this bestial guard. And I love that. Yeah, it's good. However, he is immediately discovered <laughs> by more bestials who just so happen to be the ones that he confronted the night prior. So one of them is like, I think a big yak type character. So we see that guy again Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple others. As that group clashes in sort of like an alley outside the headquarters, never quite makes it inside the building, uh, at least by this point. Vulture swoops in again, but this time helps Spider-Man. And he does so by helping restrain the group. So Spider-Man's webbing folks up. Vulture is swooping down, and I think they end up actually putting them just in the amb- or I don't know if it's the ambulance or the truck that they were hauling folks in, but they lock them in some sort of vehicle. Mm-hmm. So Vulture reveals that he saw Spider-Man using his tracer, and even though he like didn't follow Spider-Man anywhere, he figured that that he, it was a tracer. So he went back, I guess, to like where he saw him throw the tracer and figured that Spider-Man would probably like pass through that area, I guess. Um, but either way. He found Spider-Man again, followed him over to where the kidnapped humans are, and they have a little, like, argument about, like, well, who's smarter, like, the guy who found the place or the guy who followed the guy who found the place? And it's just like, oh, my God, calm uh, down, guys. I know. Oh, man, this is – I having you say that they, they should have had this contentious relationship throughout now makes me wish they really, really laid it on thick this yeah. whole time. Like, I wish they were having stupid arguments throughout the whole episode, because this is stupid. It's so stupid, it, but it, it, but it's just like, if that was happening, like, over and over again, it would have been really fun, because it's yeah. sort of like, make them bicker like an old married couple. Yeah! A- and I think it would be an interesting parallel for Spider-Man, or, or a foil to Spider-Man, really, because he he's questioning, you know, his commitment to a, any cause at all, outside of, like, his own personal one. And you have another, another dude who was, like, so super committed to his cause, but still like for personal reasons and like Mm -hmm. that's kind of a nice parallel to have between them and and i think you could get you could get a lot of arguments out of that that i think they don't really do and when they easily could have oh for sure you know and there's also comedy just to be mined out of like two people arguing and clashing over everything even though they have the exact same goal and we've mentioned before the show could use a little bit more comedy at times because it is a very bleak show absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't need to be shoehorned in, but if you have a natural dynamic like this, take advantage of it. Yeah. What I one thing I really like in this scene is 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 how they kind of pivot into Vulture's backstory, which starts with Vulture kind of criticizing Spider-Man. He just assumes that he's a human, I guess just based on like the shape of his body. Um but <laughs> quite the like, assumption there, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Again, should have just been a very animal animal like bestial and it would all of this would have made more sense. But um, it's worth mentioning that to this point and through all the backstory we're about to get, I still thought on my first viewing that Vulture was a human. Yeah. None of this made any sense to me until the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Just want to point that out because we're probably going to talk about it through the lenses of knowing what's going on. Yeah. But I did not know what was going on at the time. <laughs> right. It's it's a really – his character design 
just causes so many problems. It's so it's so strange, and I just I really I don't understand the choice. Yeah, in context, it is a terrible design. Yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah. frustrating. It's so frustrating. But yeah, he's criticizing Spider-Man for like being a human, but pretending to be a bestial, as he says. You know, because Spider-Man is dressed in the suit of like a spider, which is an animal. We've had this come up before, where people are kind of unsure, like where he lands if he's a human or bestial. Um, given that he's like uses spider powers, which spider a spider bestial would have. Yeah. You know, but Spider-Man is sort of like, I, I didn't choose this. It's kind of a weird thing. It's like you chose, I think he says like, do you think I chose to be like this? And and Vulture is kind of like, oh yeah, like I understand what it means for unexpected events to like change the course of your life or something, which is a, it's, it's a kind of weird pivot, but, and I wish that they had kind yeah. of hammered that in a little harder or made it a little more natural because it is, I see what they're trying to do with it. And again, if they yeah. kind of played up the parallel between the two, that would have been really better because yeah. I, I do like the idea of this conversation because spider-man does kind of fit into this like weird middle space between these what are supposed to be two like distinctly different societies but his existence almost kind of like shows that that they aren't that distinct and yeah. i don't know they could have called that out more <laughs> thematically all of this works it's totally ruined by a dumb character model <laughs> yeah yeah ha! anyway so we get Vulture's backstory, which is good. I like his back- backstory a lot. Yeah. Character design in spite of that. I like it now that I get it. Yeah. Character design notwithstanding, it really works really well. So he references back when he was a kid. And again, he looks like just he even looked more human than he does now. Like he doesn't they don't even show him with talons as a kid. So he's just like yeah. a kid with green hair and like kind of a pointy nose. That's the most bestial that he is. But mm-hmm. If you operate under the assumption that we're supposed to, that he is a bestial that was fully accepted into bestial society, he basically, he refers to himself as growing up as a privileged brat in the upper world with friends who hated and looked down on humans, even though the humans looked exactly like him, whatever. Um, (laughs) And his friends also looked more bestial-like. It's so annoying. Sorry. I'll stop doing that. So (laughs) they- I don't know if I will. I won't make any promises. It's it's frustrating. (laughs) It's frustrating because all of this is so good and the design just ruins it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But- they he, literally could have just stuck a beak where his nose is. I know. That's, I'm just saying. Or his hair could have been feathers. That's all they had to do. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he's upper class. His friends hate humans. They like make fun of humans all the time. They're like kicking stuff that homeless people have. They're just being big privileged jerks. But one night, Vulture joined his friends for like a fun night out. Unbeknownst to him, his friend's night out was to commit arson like super arson as fuck like Super literally burning arson. down an entire building that humans live in in an apartment building so a place that multiple humans live in the wrinkle is that this entire time vulture secretly had a human best friend that he hung out with and like played video games with that he just never told his bestial friends about and just by sheer awful terrible coincidence and kind of karma i guess well, not really karma. Like, actually, it's not karma at all. Exactly. Like, like <laughs> weird. There's a very mild amount of karma in there. Yeah. Teeny tiny, tiny uh, spritz of karma. Spritz of karma. But I, I, that that he doesn't. He's I, yeah. not an ally. We'll say that much. That's true. That's true. Because he's only an ally. But <laughs> behind. No, you're right. Because he's only nice to humans to this one human, like behind closed doors. Um, and that he like doesn't have. He didn't have like any kind of like will or care like character behind him. So yeah, you're right. It's kind of it's kind of this like tragic karma. Basically, this apartment building that they burned down is where this like best friend of his lives. So. He sees, like, his best friend, like, running out of the house. There's, like, a whole close-up on his crying face, and he never saw his friend ever again. So 
that's tragic. And that's basically kind of sparked him to like that, that kind of lit a fire under in him to realize that like, oh shit, like humans are people too. Now that I've seen someone close to me uh, be hurt by like bestial bullshit. And since then he's essentially like been a, a champion for humans and tried to stop any bestial abuse of humanity. Yeah, it is really tragic. And it is, I mean, I, the, the karmic aspect is very, very light, but that doesn't change like how horrible it is, right? Like he certainly doesn't deserve that. And it's the type of thing where I think he's still a teenager at the time or a kid. Age is really weird on this show. So like, yeah, that would scar you. And I, I, I at least appreciate the fact that what his journey was, was my eyes were opened young and I've committed my entire life and persona to writing what I feel responsible for, even though he wasn't, I mean, he was directly responsible, but like he, at the point at which he realized what was going on, he could have stood up to his friends, but it wouldn't have changed the events. Yeah. Like it was already burning by, by the yeah. time he realized it was going on. So yeah. 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 The karma is really more for him just already been running, being running with like a crowd that was like actually like super mean to humans in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. I like this whole idea that he's like a class trader vulture, like the good kind of class trader. Um, well, first, I mean, there's the fact that his his best friend was the son of his family's human housekeeper. I didn't not lost that. on me. This is like throwing back to a time when like slavery and indentured servitude was a thing and yeah. kids didn't necessarily get it. So they just made friends with people who were the same age as them. But I mean, that's this is the journey he's having is like recognizing, oh, shoot, not everybody who looks like me treats everybody who looks like that as if they're a life that's valuable. Yeah. And that's wrong. I mean, that's the that's the important part is the him deciding that that is wrong. Yeah, it's interesting. It's such it's so interesting for like a show like this to tackle that because I know, that you know, they have to play they have to play very carefully. And, you know, it's really easy to, like, lay it on too thick, too, and then make it kind of offensive by, you know, through, like, the metaphor. Right. And I think, you know, I think they do as well as they possibly can with, like, the circumstances that they're in and the type of show that this is and and the limited time that they have to kind of get that message through. Because I think it comes through. Like, I think it's a good – it's a very good backstory. And I think that they also play Vulture very well with this being his motivation because – when someone recognizes like oppression for like the first time and like, like, like not being the oppressed person, but like realizes that they're the oppressor and like, don't want to be it anymore. I think it's really easy to like swing way too far into a direction where you're like, like the whole white savior kind of thing where it's just like, I, I'm going to, to try as hard as damn possible to like do everything myself to like fix this for you. And I think that they, I think they do a nice job of kind of addressing that where like his methods aren't really that great because he is a little bit too like into the idea mm-hmm. of like just like violently um, um, liberating <laughs> these yeah. these people that you know I, I don't know it's it's interesting I think that they handle it really well as as ambiguous as it is I think I think one of the big things that they avoid doing is making this a character who's congratulatory of himself or self-important. He's obviously very tortured. He is, is dealing with trauma in a way that's probably not the healthiest, but he is doing it in a way that helps other people. So you have that complicated relationship between his good actions and his complicated motivations. 
Um, I think I, all those things, I think, prevent him from coming across as a white savior allegory. Yeah. Yeah. I think it works. And, you know, he's and he and he's kind of proven to be a little bit wrong about things at the, in the end mm-hmm. as well, which I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. I like those elements of him. For sure. Mm-hmm. So they're outside this headquarters and Vulture's like, how are we going to get in there? Because we've been caught already and they obviously have security measures and they look at i think they watch like a bestial put in some sort of security code or whatever and spider-man's like i got this and just like dons his invisibility powers like right in front of vulture (laughs) (laughs) and is like i'll just sneak in and he does he follows uh i think a fish bestial which i I have i have a note (laughs) okay okay prior to this episode we have seen plenty of fish and aquatic bestials breathing air without assistance Mm -hmm. yet every single fish like bestial we've seen in this episode has like a full suit with like head like dome like glass dome headpiece type thing so funny and at first i was like okay well i think it's just it's probably like a, a weird like hazmat type thing but it's not not everybody has that uh and it's so strange and i'm not even mad at it it's just i think what's notable about it is the the vast diversity of designs and the vast diversity of degree to which these bestials are on the spectrum of very beast-like to very human-like makes me feel like this isn't even wrong. It's just that there are some fish bestials that were developed to be able to breathe air and some that were not because the high evolutionary is a sick fuck yeah. and just like didn't know what he was doing. I like that. <laughs> I love that. My, yeah, I like that take a lot because I was my original thinking like rationalization for it was that like, well, maybe they're like there are earlier versions of bestials that are like were different and then they were sort of refined later and then earlier, earlier versions of them. Or like they couldn't breathe air if they were fish people and then these are just like the descendants of, of those fish people or something. But I kind of like your version better where it was well, like I think intentional. They, <laughs> they feed each other, to be quite honest. I think the fact that they could be descendants of earlier, I think, results in some of the similar similar uh it all results similarly, I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to get at. But yeah, it's it's funny because I, I feel like it would be so easy to to point that sort of inconsistency out as a problem mm-hmm. but i actually think it informs this really screwed up world yeah yeah i agree <laughs> i like it i like it uh, so it's, strange it's a funny it's a funny little detail <laughs> ah, ah. so yeah spider-man ends up using his invisibility powers to sneak in after one of these <laughs> not air breathing fish bestials and once inside he opens <laughs> a side door <laughs> i guess <laughs> to allow vulture entry and once again, the two are immediately discovered. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and in their attempt to not get shot more, they run away from the people shooting at them and encounter a gargoyle-like bestial. I don't even really know what type of animal to compare him to. Because he, he's like kind of he's supposed to be kind of like a dragon gargoyle, I feel like. Yes. Because this he, is- the design is weird. And his and it clashes with his personality because he's like a yellow sort of reptilian dude with like a beak that you could sort of argue is like trying to evoke dragon a little bit, um, but is also yeah. kind of a little more bird like than a dragon normally is. But like the way that he's he literally is naked except for a loincloth, which makes him look exactly like the gargoyles from the show Gargoyles for some uh-huh. reason. Well, there which, are design cues that are really similar too. 
Yeah, like the way his uh, his wings are. Yeah, yeah. No, you're um, right. And his name is literally Fire Drake. Like Dragon is a part of his name. Yeah. So I think like <laughs> Dragon Gargoyle makes the most sense, which you would think like, oh, so he's going to like like the, he's going to be like the Knights of Wondergore where he like talks like medieval or maybe he's just like very monster like or very or he's just like kind of dumb or something like that. Or even he's, like, very eloquent or something. It could be any of those things. But, no, the thing that they go with is just, like, talking like a regular, like, security guard type dude. (laughs) But then also one who's, like, interested in doing experiments on people at the same time and is interested in science, I guess. It's weird. (laughs) So this is where the world gets even more complicated. One thing that's so strange about this show, or at least this first season of the show, is that it complicates its own world on a very regular basis. I mean, yeah. before before dust even settles, I mean, they're introducing another like industrial sized fan into the room, you know. Mm-hmm. So in this case, we we end up encountering this gargoyle ish bestial named Fire Drake, who literally breathes fire, which is something we've not seen any bestial do. We have seen no bestials that have any sort of like enhanced ability outside what you might expect simply from being not a human, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we've seen giraffes with long necks. We see uh, different bestials with, like, more animal-like teeth. We see whatever that octopus-type <laughs> cephalopod thing was had, like, tentacles on its neck or something. Like, so mm-hmm. things that you would expect and associate with actual real-life animals, we've never seen anything like this. What we learn, because Spider-Man and Vulture are taken to the research and development lab and constrained like like Bond villain victims, is that this facility that is apparently just a cosmetics facility is in fact experimenting with bestial genetics basically to create even more sort of beast-like or super-powered bestials. That's kind of like what we learn. There are a couple like details that get us to that point, but that's ultimately what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that this is what we learn right after you and I, a couple weeks ago, had a discussion about how introducing anything that isn't specifically sort of this anthropomorphic version of a bestial complicates things because mm-hmm. we were talking about the chimera. Well, guess what? We don't just have very traditional anthropomorphic animals and very non-anthropomorphic chimera, we now have something that's almost like an in-between. So, like, the spectrum gets even wider (laughs) and more complicated, and then even more complicated when they get to the point where you learn who's actually doing this. Yep. Yep. Because it's not the high evolutionary. (laughs) What the fuck is going on on this planet? (laughs) It is so messed up, and I don't blame Spider-Man for wanting to yeet the F out. Yeah, it's a mess. But you know, like, some of it is, it's it's a little bit messily written in terms of, like, I I don't know if they really had their world building kind of hammered down from the start. But, 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 I can buy that in a situation where you have your, like, literal god <laughs> still, like, existing and who has kind of sped all this up to the to the point where supposedly the, all of this entire, like, species of creatures that, like, rule the planet was just, like, 50 years ago, which is not a very long time ago. And this, like, their creator slash god person is still present and supposedly still doing things, like, still creating and sort of running things. I can sort of believe that it would be a huge mess, especially given that, like, pretty, we kind of, based on 
who we learn is behind all of this, it sort of seems like literally everyone that works directly under him is not actually working for them warm and has his own agenda. Like, I don't think anyone actually really truly believes in or is totally like super into the high evolutionary. Well, I think, yeah, all the complications I think make it a fascinating world. It's just a clusterfuck of a planet. I would want nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. let's just jump to it because the details don't really matter that much. Basically what we learn is that Sir Ram is the one doing these experiments to create more powerful, super-powered bestials. So Vulture makes some sort of comment where he's like, oh, shoot, like, I'm going to meet my maker. Or somebody tells him he's going to meet his maker or something like that. And Vulture's like, great, I'd love to meet the High Evolutionary. And then Swerve, Sir Ram actually walks into the room instead, and we learn that Sir Ram's doing all of this outside the view of the high evolutionary so now we end up with the high evolutionary comes to a planet and creates an entire new basically race of of sentient beings to rule a planet that already had a (laughs) group of sentient beings sort of ruling it you then have the added wrinkle of there being an intelligent hive mind organism that was already there (laughs) that is trying to emerge and take over with two symbiotes somehow wrapped into it who also work for the high evolutionary but are trying to undermine him. And then Sir Ram, who directly works for the high evolutionary, trying to undermine him. And theoretically, we don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming this is the case, working to overthrow the high evolutionary and rule the planet with his super bestial forces or whatever. Like it's, it's an absolute goddamn mess, which is what I love from the antagonistic side of a show like this. I mean, I love power Rangers series where every general has their own motivation. Yeah. I love that. So this feels sort of like that, but it feels even messier because it's not all generals. You know what I mean? It's not just like a bunch of conflicting people who are sort of on the same level. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have an entire group of people who only have a a limited amount of knowledge opposing them in the revolutionaries. Like Mm -hmm. it is just everybody is set up to have their mind absolutely destroyed the more they learn about what's going on. It's just like stripping away layer after layer after layer and finding more rot and just garbage underneath. It's it's. It's amazing. I love it, but it is absolutely a cluster. It's yeah. wild shit. It's, fasc- <laughs> it's so fascinating. And, you know, it's complicated by the fact that we still don't really know very much about the high evolutionary. Like, we got his backstory, but it doesn't really make sense. And I know. They- I love that you and I are seven episodes in and still don't trust, like, anything that we've been told about him or what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't. And I bet you, I bet you we don't. I'm I'm willing to bet that we get no clarity on that or that it is simply exactly as they've told us. Mm-hmm. And yet I still don't trust it. Like there's just a part of me that doesn't believe it could possibly be as simple as it is being explained. Yeah, especially given the fact that like you every everyone that works with him is just like, nah, I got my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we've only ever seen him on screen. I know, I know. Like, what are you, <laughs> dude? Do you even exist? Like, it's so strange. Uh, it's so strange. It makes me kind of appreciate Sir Ram a little bit more. Like, he still sucks, but like at least the fact that he is so sadistic that he still has his own agenda, it's just like, yeah. okay, I get that. Like, I can get behind that. I like that he's at least not just a puppet, right? Like he's yeah. pretending to be a puppet. And I appreciate that even if I hate him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think it makes him yeah, it makes him a little more interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, he's undermining one of the people that we don't like, even if I also don't like him. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cool. Exactly. Down with it. Super down with it. Right. So we learn a lot of stuff then <laughs> and yet learn nothing at all at the same time, seemingly. Um, so <laughs> so uh, the two interlopers, which is Spider-Man and the Vulture, are nearly sliced in half by lasers, just like a, Va- a Bond villain would do to them. But, you know, they manage to break free anyway. Spider-Man shoots like a spider dart thing, like a fire extinguisher, blows up the uh, computer console or whatever. Either way, they escape, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, so they can they can have their cool little fight sequence. Sir Ram flees because he's a fucking coward. And yep. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man frees Phil. Vulture volunteers to free the rest of the prisoners while Spidey and Fire Drake have their uh, crazy clash. Um, so Spider-Man like uh, leads Fire Drake out of the lab and into the skies and the alleys nearby. But then Suram comes back to assist Fire Drake. But I don't think he I don't think he does literally anything. I think he literally just flies onto the scene. Yeah. Before Vulture is just like, oh, hey, buddy, <laughs> um, uh-huh. intervenes and just makes him crash. <laughs> it could be like pure coincidence that Sir Ram happened to be flying by, to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, I got done freeing the prisoners. Oh, whoops. Oh, OK. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, too, because Vulture attacks him and he ends up like driving flying flying his like hover steed into (laughs) not only does he like knock fire drake out of the air but crashes into a water tower which is beautiful yeah yeah it's funny it's beautiful you deserve that (laughs) sir ram (laughs) yep yep through the grace of god herself a singular (laughs) vehicle hauling liquid nitrogen drives by of course. Thank you. You know, those 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 vehicles hauling liquid, ni- liquid nitrogen that you see all the time. Um, Frequently driving on the road alone with no other vehicle in sight. <laughs> yeah. 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 A little weak. But but I guess it's a cool little bit where Spidey nabs the canister. Um, he kind of goads Fire Drake into breathing the fire at him. And then he like throws. It's so funny. I love the animation of it. He just throws the canister. It just like quickly just like goes into fire drake's mouth and he's just like holding on to it which it's mm-hmm. like you'd think that I, I guess because he's like starting to breathe the fire so before fire drake can like you know spit it out or drop the canister like it blows up yep yep <laughs> classic it's good you know what i just realized mm-hmm. karen absolutely was driving that truck full of liquid nitrogen when you need someone to be there <laughs> inexplicably Karen will be there. Yep, yep. Oh, it's definitely. We haven't mentioned it in a few weeks, but it's the Duis X Ma Karen. Remember her? Yeah. She's back. Yep, she's back. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Any anytime we need a solution on the show, we're just gonna assume it's Karen. That works. Karen was there. We didn't see the driver. You can't tell me it wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, at that water tower that uh, that Sir Ram crashed into, the vulture shows up with the prisoners and is like, there's the guy who did this to you. Have at him. So all those prisoners surround Sir Ram, very obviously intending to beat the shit out of him. I think one of them, if not uh, the vulture himself, says, like, we'll tear him limb from limb. Yeah. Which is an image. Um, <laughs> but, but, but... Of course, our ever-neutral conflict manager, Spider-Man, intervenes. And I'm not mad because I don't need to see anybody get, like, disemboweled. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Spider-Man swoops in and is like, guys, guys, think about it. Think about it. We don't need to do this. <laughs> yeah. He makes a good point in saying that if you 
if you kill Sir Ram, you are also monsters, which is what you hate him for. And they're all like, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. And like mosey on off without any argument. But then, but then, this drives me nuts. And I get it because the environment would not allow for a different outcome, but it still drives me nuts. They all walk off and Spider-Man and Vulture basically just let Sir Ram go. Yeah, dude. Just let him walk oh, off. It's so They irritating. don't do jack shit. They don't, they, you know what? I understand if they felt confident they couldn't get away with actually taking serious action because the system is working against them, but at least web him to a nearby building. Yeah. Do something. Pull his stupid ram pants down and embarrass him. Do literally anything punitive at all. Yeah, he was doing all awful horrible stuff like it's so yeah it's such a it's it's like taking it too far because yeah i get i get the lesson which whether you agree with it or not like the fact that like you know the violent action like taken against their oppressor like that their 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 stance is that that's not right which is fair but it's just I like get the fucking guillotine for this guy. yeah that's the thing it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird to bring it up like in our current like culture because that's like yeah actually in the conversation right now but <laughs> yeah. for for 1999 and for yeah. like this particular show yeah the stance that they want to take is the kind of classic superhero one which is like don't kill don't be violent about about you know yeah. do the right thing kind of thing I, I which get we that. need we also yeah. need that yeah yeah the whole like you know stay on the high ground kind of thing I get that. But yeah, it's like then they they kind of take it weirdly too far for like and I don't really I, I guess and I don't really understand the theme of it because I could sort of see it if it if this was supposed to be an arc for the vulture where it was like, OK, the pendulum swung too far in the wrong direction. Like, yeah, you're it's good that you sort of saw the error of your ways and saw like how broken this society is. But like you're still like being kind of like the bad guy by trying to like incite violence or something. So don't do that. Mm-hmm. And then. I don't know, but like, but they don't, they don't go hard enough on that for him to like seemingly like learn a lesson necessarily. So like when he's letting Sir Ram leave, like it's not a cathartic moment or anything. It just doesn't make any logical sense at all. Like if they're trying to be like, oh, wow, he really is like the bigger man now or the bigger bestial now by like letting Sir Ram go. (laughs) I could see if they were trying to play that up, but they, they don't establish that as like the arc. It's just like, dude, you don't like... The opposite of like taking violent action isn't taking no action. Like it, you can still do something. <laughs> yeah. Well, we mentioned at the top of this that this episode kind of has all the things that are great about the series and all the things that are a problem about this series. Mm-hmm. We talked about some of the things that were problems. We talked about the things that were great. This is an example of one of the problems the show has, which is it never lets anything after the climax breathe. Yeah. It never lets anything fall into place in the way that it should. So you end up with this cool buildup. You get a lot of cool background. You get some cool action some of the time. And then once the climax hits, it's like, oh, shit, we've only got a minute left. Yep. No, you can't do that. You've got another episode you need to get us prepared for. You can't just cut it off. Like, what happens next? What happens to Sir Ram? What happened? Like, where are these characters at moving forward? We don't need a lot. We just need something. And this was not something. Yep. So it's not, you know, doesn't rush a fight, but it still rushes that exact same point in every episode. I'm tempted to, like, measure the 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 moment in each episode at which I'm like, all right, here we are. This is where we 
rush to the end, sprint to the end, because I feel like it's always at the exact same spot. It's like two to three minutes left. Yeah. And they're like sprinting to get to the end of the episode. That's so true. That's so true. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I praised these, like, final end cap scenes at the beginning of our coverage of this show. But now I'm wondering if they're hindering exactly what I'm wanting, right? Like, yeah. I, I know that shouldn't be the case because they should be planning and pacing their episodes properly so that you could do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not. And it makes me feel like maybe having these little end caps that are meant to launch us into the next episode is confusing the process. Where yeah. They need to be doing two endings to every episode, which I could handle, but they, they seem not to be able to handle doing the two ending thing. Yeah, not not at the expense of <laughs> of ending the actual episode that you're already right. on. Right. <laughs> right. End the actual story you're telling before you give us a serial ending to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because they <sighs> don't there's not really a final a real satisfying final moment between Spider-Man and Vulture. I think they kind of harken back to like you're still a wannabe or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there isn't really I mean the only the only like the optimistic view is that like okay, you know, they he's going to come back at some point presumably or like they plan for him to come back so you can kind of continue with like this this arc now that he's established or something. But even still, I don't know. It's just like it doesn't feel like it's just like oh, it's left open after they learn something. It's just sort of like Okay, bye. Moving on to the next thing. <laughs> okay, bye. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what they do. Yeah, yeah. So much was going for this episode. And then I know. they ended in such a dumb way. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, there's only one There's only one scene left. It's pretty brief. They they do cl- at least kind of close the loop and sort of set up for what's happening in the next week. Yeah, um, they do. Yep. Uh-huh. So the episode ends. We see Phil again, back with uh, Naoko again, getting another gr- grilled cheese sandwich again. The amount of times that grilled cheese... <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times that grilled cheese comes up in this episode just makes me want grilled cheese so much. Grilled cheese with <sighs> tomato soup, grilled cheese with all, oh God, with like every, like, uh, all the stuff, all like the, the fun, like kid friendly, <laughs> kid friendly meals, yeah. like grilled cheese, SpaghettiOs, chicky, chicky, nug, nugs. It's funny because you know, that's, well, that's exactly <laughs> what he's eating, right? Like they live in a slum. The grilled cheese he's getting is like the basic like nothing but bread, cheese, butter. Like and that's yep. and so that's all I wanted. I was like I just want like a really classic like grilled cheese right now. Ugh. And I don't have the ingredients. I don't have American cheese, but I, I can do like a cheddar cheese, grilled cheese. I might do that yeah. after after we're done with this actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway. Oh, yeah. The episode's ending. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're we're daydreaming about grilled cheese, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Phil doesn't have to daydream because he has grilled cheese. Oh, uh, Phil, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Um, after he's gone, Naoko uh, hears a shouting from inside the clinic, and we see a shadowy figure of a werewolf. Huh? Yeah. Very cool. And they just have to wait until next week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I were watching this show, I guarantee you I'd be tuning in next week. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, man. Because what the hell? Werewolves are cool. cool, And I was not expecting that, but we'll get into it next week. Yes, we definitely will. Real quick face of the episode this time. 
Vulture does look a lot like Goblin, and and similarly, he makes a lot of weird faces. I feel mm. like his face, somehow, they do worse things with it, though. <laughs> he looks a little more horrifying than Goblin does. Because Goblin is, like, constantly smiling with his, like, weird toothy grin. Yeah. And, like, Vulture's never happy. <laughs> but it's still, like, that sh- the same shape somehow. <laughs> well, and Goblin looks less human than the bestial Vulture. So when Goblin uh, makes weird, horrifying faces, it's coupled with him already not looking very human. Yeah. When this character that looks 100% human, especially in the face, makes horrifying faces, it feels more like distorted features. Yeah. Which is creepy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a scary face that he's making in this yeah. one. Just a, yep. just a close-up of his scary face. Yeah, he's about to eat your face off. But could have been scarier if he was just an actual vulture animal. I know. So dumb. Uh, it's so irritating. It's so frustrating. I, there are things about this episode that I really, really like. It's so crazy. I never would have thought that, like, one character design could, like, hurt something so much. But, like, God, I feel like that's – there's, like, writery th- problems with this episode, you know, that we brought up. But I think that that's the worst thing because the dissonance of him looking like a human – for a character whose story is so fundamentally entrenched in him not yeah. being human, like, it's just, like, you can't get past that. And it's so frustrating because the story is really good. It would be it would be akin to having, like, Nightcrawler from the X-Men have the exact same story about feeling like a monster among humans, but mm-hmm. look totally normal and not be blue and not have a tail and have five fingers. Like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And that's, that's what they did here. And you're right. It is frustrating because it's such a uh, typically minor thing for a character model, not to resonate because normally you can be like, I don't like this character model, but that's purely aesthetics. I don't like the aesthetics of it. This, the aesthetics are fine. It just, it's actually a character model that needs to inform that character's story and doesn't deliver on that at all. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being this like obnoxious little tiny pebble in your shoe that's ruining like your whole experience, even though it's a tiny little thing. Because there is so much in this episode that I love so much. It complicates the world in ways that make me really excited. It has th- like things that that add to the weird, messed up sci-fi freak science nature of everything. <laughs> um, and it's hard for me to 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 just love that because I'm so preoccupied with this dumb little detail. I know. This tiny pebble in my shoe. It's yeah. so annoying. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Which makes it more annoying because it shouldn't be as annoying as it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, well, ah, I think it's important. It, compounds. It, is, it is important though because that's such yeah. that's so so such an important aspect of this show is these two like warring factions that look different. Like that's, that's, that's the most important thing, you know, and you can't do that if they don't look different. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And there's so, there's one like, conver- like one of part of their conversation that I, I, I didn't get a chance to call out when we were kind of going through the episode, but like, I like the conversations that they're bringing up. Cause there's one point after Spidey learns Vulture's backstory, he's like, yeah, well, a lot of folks like feel strongly about something, but they don't take to the streets, um, which is ironic oh, for boy. you to say as like a costume vigilante Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, and he, and he makes a whole thing like, oh, I'm just called the ASPCH. <laughs> um, and Vulture's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, but I, I, tr- I love that Vulture is like, yeah, I tried that and it literally didn't work. Yeah. This, and he says like, this thing takes action, not newsletters. And that's such like a cool kind of, um, kind of subversive message to have, especially in 1999 yeah. where it's just like, nah, man, <laughs> like sometimes you got to carry your torches and pitchforks. That's what's so dope about this episode is it 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 
pretty subtly, I think I think you have to be paying attention. It pretty subtly introduces a lot of these really complicated, really real world issues that are hard to grapple with in a show that's a kid's cartoon featuring costumed characters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the dynamics between the two groups that you talked about, complicating those things, having bridges between them that people are unwilling to recognize, having a system that absolutely provides no room to tackle things in the quote way that you you're supposed to, or in the right way. I mean, you see that more than once, not just in the, it takes action, not newsletters, But like you said, with Naoko feeling like she didn't have an authority to call, who's she going to call? The system's not going to support her. Mm -hmm. Um, There's Mm -hmm. so many things in this episode that are so parallel to the real world, probably more so than we have seen or talked about to this point. Yeah. And a fucking character model fucks it all up. I know, I know. <laughs> well, that, and, and I do think the ending of it with the Sir, well, like, yeah, like Sir Ram true. kind of mutes it because I do think that there would be room for having this conversation which is like, yes, you should take action, but maybe there is a line over like how much action is too much action and like that that it's sort of, that, that it is sort of complicated and it's sort of ruin it by like muting all of it by just being like, yeah, no, you just let the bad guys go. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's like even if you, I don't fault anyone for believing in taking the trillionaires to the guillotine, but I think it's still useful to sort of have that conversation and yeah. and address like the gray area that exists with that and it's sort of frustrating that the show like is so almost there it has a lot of the pieces of it and its backstory i think is pretty much perfect it's just the ending kind of messes it up the character design messes it up but that doesn't take away from the fact that this is like this whole show and this episode and kind of this whole show by proxy is like about the proletariat overthrowing like the bourgeoisie like that's fucking crazy <laughs> that's fucking it really insane makes me- I know. And it really makes me wish for consistency in references. I want those pilot references back so bad. I know. I mean, I don't I don't want for the terrible quips from the early episodes of the show. <laughs> yeah. His quipping has gotten significantly better, but it did come at the cost of these really well thought out political references. Yeah. But maybe maybe that was too much, uh, given some of the stuff that they were they were uh, inevitably going to tackle in theme and in action. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this isn't a terrible episode. This is not a terrible episode. No, it's actually it's a no. really fascinating one. It's just the problems that it has are just weird. This is the, this episode is the kid on the team that is like getting the most shit from the coach and where the coach is in this analogy because we know what it could have been. We know what you could be. We just want you to be your best, which yeah. is, you know, toxic and problematic. But still, <laughs> this episode isn't a sentient being, so we can treat it like that if we want to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a fascinating episode. I know. I know. Really, really fascinating. It really is. It really is. Uh, I love it for that. Yep. Yep. For more fascinating episodes of uh, other things and other things that we cover. Nailed it. You can check us out on Patreon.com. Uh, Patreon.com slash Snappers specifically. We have lots of uh, bonus episodes, commentaries. We do other Spider-Man related things and other things that aren't really related to Spider-Man, but maybe maybe kind of a little bit, but sometimes not. Uh, all kinds <laughs> of content. So uh, check yeah. us out there and uh, support us to help us keep doing the show and making it even better. Otherwise, if we would like to find more of you, Doug, where can we find you on the interwebs? 
You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. And if you like Pokemon stuff, you can catch me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And we are quickly approaching the release of new expansions for Sword and Shield, so be on the lookout for our impressions on that. Cool. Otherwise... Where can people find you, Derek, and the stuff you're working on? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad and or divisive media from a uh, positive lens. Uh, It's very research heavy and kind of looking at the intent of things, why people who like it might like it and uh, have a whole slate of summer stuff coming out. So there should be a new episode coming out every month, at least through August, hopefully beyond. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, if you'd like to follow our show, Walloping Web Snappers, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. And we would love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a review there, we will do a dramatic reading of it on our Twitter feed. So please do that there. It helps people find our podcast. Next week, we are going to pick up where that cliffhanger left off as we learned the howling truth about John Jameson's illness in Ill Met by Moonlight. See ya. See ya. Do you know anything about Highlander? Um, I no, don't not until really. today. I mean, I think I've <laughs> I've watched I've seen the first movie, but I, I haven't seen anything beyond that. Um, so it seems like the kind of franchise that is expansive and pays a lot of attention to continuity when it probably doesn't have to, which makes me super intrigued. <laughs> yeah, like it would be cool. It's this, it's so weird because we can easily find the answers to this, but it would be so cool if like. That movie was like the one from the TV show and the one f- and and one from the movies, like r- finding out that the other exists and then having to fight each other because there can only be one. Like <laughs> that would be wild, well, I, but I doubt that's what it is. But that sounds that I don't know. It sounds so strange. I know a bit about the premise. I do know that on the on the like, I don't know if it's a movie poster or just like the cover art or whatever. <laughs> it says something about like something something to come together blah 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 but then it's like dot 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 but there can only be one so i'm assuming that they must battle at the end right that seems to be the only conclusion (laughs) i don't know i don't know enough about like the expansive mythology the uh the eu of uh of highlander Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe they changed the rules a little bit (laughs) i mean it's it is kind of hilarious that it has this expansive universe and its sort of convergent movie is literally called Endgame. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, who knows? Maybe I'll dip into some Highlander. I also did not realize that Highlander, the universe continuity, ex- like spans like hundreds of years. <laughs> like,
Oh, I didn't really realize that either. I had no idea. I had no idea. Anyway, this is a Spider-Man podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And there's this character named Fire Drake voiced by this guy who is in Highlander. Hide in the mountains. A cabin where no one else is around. Mm -hmm. No sound at all. But great internet. (laughs) Yes, that would be the (laughs) ideal. Although it would be like the the weird, like... um, uh the weird like tragic irony would be like then like all the animals are like super loud or something like you just constantly <laughs> hear like coyotes howling in the background you know what can... though <laughs> i would not even try to edit that out if our backdrop was like nature <laughs> i i would be That's so fine with that true don't mind our nature in the background that would be pretty awesome <laughs> we just record actually. in the wilderness <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that would be fun. All right, they're gone.